it's Pentecost. We're going to pray for something else in just a minute, but, but I want to do it like this. Today, we're going to talk about the mighty acts of God in the Word of God. So we're going to start by talking about some mighty acts of God. You all, many of you at least, know what's going on with Charles. Um, he had a major head trauma. They had to completely remove the top to let the swelling out. He was in a coma for five days um, while I was down at the hospital with them. The doctors were encouraging the family, were basically saying, you need to pull the plug, that there's really no hope for him, there, there's nowhere he can go, and they were, having the, they were putting me up to the, uh, Pastor, you need to go talk to him and start preparing the family because, because they're going to have to pull this plug. And they did this for five days. And every time we laid hands and prayed for Charles, his body shook. I mean, I'm a guy of little faith, okay? Let me just put that out there. It's true. I was running experiments where we would pray, and the, the nurses in the room were going, oh, that's normal. When they're, when they're in a state like this, you know, they have tremors and things like that. We would put our hands and pray, and the body would shake. And I'm just going, I gotta, I'm a scientist first, you know. I'm thinking, i got to test this out. I take my hands off, and we, we stop praying, and his body would still. And I would go, guys, I think we should pray again. I think his body is responding to the presence of God. So we lay hands and we start praying and his body would shake. And I'm little faith, right? Did I say that already? So, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to try this again. <laughs> and so the third time we anoint with oil and we're praying and his, his body would shake. I don't have the time frames very well, but several days later he came out of it. He's been coming out of it ever since with like the top of his head missing. <laughs> his eyes are open. He's looking around the room. He's responding to people. He's pointing at yes and no to answer questions. He's moving his legs like his whole body is coming back um, a little at a time. Um, and so these are the mighty acts of the Holy Spirit. They have not ceased. They heard the doctors standing around the corner having this little secret powwow as if you can't hear them. And they're around the corner going, going, what happened? This, this is impossible. What's going on in there? And they're just in there with grins at the power of the Holy Spirit over his body. So I want to um, pray into this again. Are you with me on this? And because he still has a long recovery ahead. It's amazing how fast he's recovering. And yet it's still going to be you know, a long road. Right now, what they're praying for is that he's placed in the right place because there's a huge difference. He's done with ICU. He was supposed to die in there in the ICU. He's done with ICU, and now they're moving him to, to rehab where they do therapy to bring his brain completely back on board. He has parts, he has functions going on that they're saying he doesn't have the brain there. You can't make that up. Okay, so pray with me. Lord, we, we release more healing. We say more Holy Spirit. On this day that we celebrate your Pentecost, your coming upon flesh, and we ask you to come upon Charles' flesh today. In the authority of your name, Jesus, by your stripes, we say more healing. We ask you, Lord, to keep blowing the minds of the family and the doctors with your goodness. 
And we ask for a favor that you would just swing open all the doors that Charles would know the favor. Part of his testimony in the name of Jesus is going to be that you opened the doors because you delight in him like that and you placed him exactly where he needs to be. We release the will of heaven over everywhere he goes and every doctor and therapist that he comes in contact with. May they also be filled with your spirit for, for Charles' behalf, even if they don't know what's happening, even if they don't know you like that. We ask that your spirit would come upon for this. In the name of Jesus. You know, even as I was praying, I have one more thing I think we should pray about. Um, You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm going to invite you. If you are a family that is trying to make hard decisions right now, will you just raise raise your hand up? Okay, I got you. Yep, okay. All right, good. I I just feel like um, it's okay if we, in fact, I, I'm being led to say we should pray that the Lord is in those decisions, that the wisdom is just going to be there for you. Okay, show me your hands again. Where are you? I'm here, 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 all over the place. Okay, we're all making decisions. <laughs> when does life not have decisions? Okay, thank you, Jesus. I thank you for inviting us to let you into our decisions in a deeper way. And I ask that, that um, the idol of logic, um, the idol of something being done correctly would, would just die right now. And that um, you would release an ability in us to lean into your spirit, to lean into you for your wisdom that may not even make sense in these decisions. I'm asking, Lord, that decisions will be made in the courts of heaven for us and you will let us clearly let us in on what what your will is so we just go into what you're doing Um, i ask for decisions that are going to guide the future not not just solve this problem in the name of jesus these decisions are not just going to solve this problem these are the decisions from the courts that are going to release your future destiny on us, the carriers of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus. Do you all agree with that? Amen. Amen. Okay, so Pentecost. Normally this would be the Sunday. Um, <coughs> this would be the Sunday where we would, um, we would celebrate, we would pray for outpouring, which I guess that is what we're doing, and we would celebrate the Holy Spirit. I have to warn you, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and the mighty acts of God, but it's going to be um, a little different. Um, the Lord led me to, if you want to turn, well, I'm going to, maybe I don't do that yet, because I'm actually starting in Acts. Um, we're going to talk about his good plan for the Spirit to be upon the chosen people. You know, that's not just New Testament, right? There were big changes with the new covenant, and we could talk about that, but um, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, they were always the head of the chosen people. They were always the active power in the chosen people, Israel, that we're grafted into now, right? That's that's good enough. You're tracking there? Okay. And um, this morning, we're going to talk a a bit about um, quenching the Holy Spirit. You know, that's not new to the New Testament either. <laughs> They've got an entire history of, of not exactly cooperating, of quenching this, 
quenching the Spirit is throughout the Old Testament. Um, I'm going to start by um, telling you again uh, the word that was spoken in January by one of the people that speaks into this church, and, and this is the word. I'm hoping that I'm repeating this enough that you guys are going to going to like log it in if you haven't already. The word is, this is not a year of getting what we want, but a year of God getting what he wants in us. And I don't think I said this part last week. There's actually another part. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I'm sorry, I left. That's a pretty important part. <laughs> I shouldn't have let that off last week. Um, but that's the word. Um, that's going to lead us where we're going. That's part of the reason I say that again. Go to Acts chapter 1, and we're just going to be there for just a second. Acts chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 4. This is right after Jesus rose from the dead. He says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you have heard from me. In other words, he already told them there's going to be a promise. Now he's saying, wait here for it. Verse 5, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Speaking of what, right? What? Pentecost, okay, is coming. The birth of the Spirit-filled church, flesh on, on the whole body of the chosen. Verse 6, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, I think we're still doing that. I wasn't even going to say that, but I'm like, no, it's got to be said. We're still doing that. Like, Lord, you're going to restore the kingdom today? And he said, now, this is what I want you to notice. How does he respond when we say, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And see, like, what does he know? It's already restored, right? He already rose from the dead. He was already there among them. Death was already defeated. The good plans of the kingdom were already moving by the Spirit in their midst, even before Pentecost, right? So how does he respond to that? Are you going to restore the kingdom? Um, and he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Now, I just got to say this. Notice that he did not shut the question down. In other words, he didn't say, well, you're wrong to be wanting everything to be made right, even in the physical, even throughout the whole world. He didn't say that. We sang about it this morning. He is coming back. He is going to do that. And he, so he doesn't rebuke the question. In fact, he says, it's not for you to know the time of what you're asking about. But now let me respond to what to the deep need. Let me respond to what you're really asking for. You follow? And he says, verse 8, but you shall, um, let me get this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what? They say, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And he says, you're going to receive power. That's his answer. In other words, I'm going to give you the kingdom. Not like you're asking, not yet, but I'm going to give you the kingdom. I'm going to give you that power. You know, Jesus was the example of a spirit-filled life. 
The word of God is very clear that he laid down the divine attributes. That means everything he did was ministering as a man filled with the spirit. If you're looking for the right way to think about things when it comes to the mighty acts of God, his active presence among us, you just only have to look as far as Jesus. How, <laughs> how am I supposed to be a carrier of the kingdom? What does that look like? What would a life like that be like? Look at Jesus. He ministered as a spirit-filled man, and he calls you to that. Do you know that he said, I know you know this. I'm going to tell you again anyway because I want to. He said that you're going to do greater things than him. It's one of the verses that plagues me more than any other verse in the word of God because I know I'm still on the journey. I'm still, I'm still walking into doing greater things than him. I believe when he said it, he meant it. Anybody else? Although you know, okay, <laughs> you know also that Jesus was limited. Now somebody's going, heresy, you want to throw something at me. But the word of God is very clear that there were certain regions, like his home region of Galilee, where it says he didn't do many miracles there. Well, we're talking about Jesus. He was limited by the faith of the community, by the atmosphere that was there. You know, that's recorded in the word of God. That region became known as the region without faith where Jesus said, well, there's not much work we can do here because the Spirit moves in an atmosphere of belief. And if that's true for Jesus, <laughs> is that true for us? Okay. Now, we're going to go to the main text. And th this is funny. It's going to be a little different. We're going to Psalm 106. You can go ahead and turn there. We're going to do the whole thing, I think, even though it's really long. So I'm going to... I'm going to keep shooting through, and it's so good. And we're also going to be, you can mark both of these places if you want. We're also going to be in Exodus chapter 32, Psalm 106 and Exodus 32. Now, here's the reason. It's those two scriptures. Psalm 106 is one of those psalms where a singular theme or, or a, a, a road that the Lord wants us to walk on or understand is there in Psalm 106, but it's done like this. It's done by summarizing um, the history of Israel, the history of how they walked with God. It's all condensed into a psalm around a few particular themes. There are various places in the Word of God that do this, and I always love those places um, when, when the Word of God is like this because it, it takes something that is obviously um, incredibly vital that we understand it. We know how to walk in it. It's, it's how it works. I'm not sure if I'm the one who made this term, but I love the term spiritual competence. We're going to talk a little bit this morning about spiritual competence as it comes to being the people of the power of God, his mighty acts. And this is done in Psalm 106 by, by bringing their, their whole story together across this theme. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, and that's why Exodus 32 is there because when you run into places like this, the way that you have to study it, if you want to gain the understanding, is you have to look back at the references being made. Otherwise, you miss half of it. Now, see, they would have known those references. <laughs> they all knew. They didn't have to, to page 
you know, a thousand pages back in their Bible. It was right here. So when they would sing or, or hear a psalm or one of these passages, they would be right there. But we have to turn back. So um, we're going to do that. So Psalm 106, I'm starting right in verse 1, okay? It begins with praise, just like we do. Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? See, it's already starting in this theme, mighty acts. Who can utter the mighty acts? Who can declare all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice and he who does righteousness at all times. Now, verse 4. I want you to listen to the language, and we're going to begin pulling this apart a little. Verse 4 begins, Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. O visit me with your salvation. Now watch this. The word remember means mention, okay, or bring up. It actually, it actually is used sometimes in a manner of like, like intercession. Well, you know this, like, will you remember me in prayer? It's kind of like that. So, so what's being written here is, is saying, Oh, Lord, mention me, would you? Mention me with what in particular? With the favor you have toward your people. Do you know it's very, very biblical that the Lord has favor on the cho chosen people? Favor and mercy are on the people. It's unique to people. In fact, it's not as if he's, okay, he's sitting there on the throne and he says, I've got a handful of mercy, and I'm going to give you some. It doesn't work like that. Um, here's how it works. Um, mercy and favor, goodness, are the attributes of the Lord. You follow so far? So if the presence of the Lord is heavy upon, then there is mercy. <laughs> you follow? It's not something he hands out. It is, it is his presence among the chosen people. And here it's saying, mention, remember me with that presence, with that favor upon that you have toward your people. Doesn't it make you think of the ironic blessing? That make your face shine upon, your favors upon. Yes? And it's the priesthood of all believers now. Go ahead and say, I'm a priest. That's right, you are. So this is for you. This favor is for you. And it says, he goes on, oh, visit me with your salvation. Now, here's one that people like to pick apart in the church where we say, Lord, let, let your fire fall. Let your presence come. Is that theologically okay? Is that accurate? Yes, it's being done right here in the psalm. Is the presence of the Lord already here? What are we asking for when we do that? We're saying we want your manifest presence. We want to be, what, in cooperation with you so that you're free to flow, even through the dominion of man. Right? So this word visit, literally translated is show up. I think I used to, when I heard people pray that, will you show up, Lord? I'm thinking he's, our, I would, I would kind of nitpick it. I'd be like, he's already here. Why would you pray the Lord would show up? Well, here it is. Show up, Lord, <laughs> with your salvation, which is deliverance, health, prosperity. Show up with your favor upon. Okay. Okay, verse 5, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones. Is it okay to look for benefit? Yeah, what kind of father wouldn't want his children to have benefit because you're my son, you're my daughter? That's a crazy thought, but we do it all the time, don't we? Our image of God is that he's not that good father. 
looking to shower. Okay, and watch this. That I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedly. So what's happening now? Now it's going into how have... How have we gotten to where we're not cooperating? We are quenching the free movement of the Spirit. You follow it? Repentance is beginning to come. And, then, and now a theme begins here. Watch this as we go, verse 7. It says, Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. What did they not understand? The wonders. You see, it's already talking about the mighty acts. Now it's talking about the wonders. And it says, They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. That word remember, you know, it's the same word used before, where it was remember me, Lord. In other words, what's it saying? They did not mention it. See what? This is so important to get this, to go where we're going in this psalm. It's a long psalm, so it's, you actually have to expend a little effort to keep the context as we go along, okay? What this saying is, is um, they had gotten into a long season where the mighty acts of God didn't seem to be all that present. Follow? Does that... Is there anybody else? Are you with me when, when, when I think... Um, that's a bit of an accurate description of the church in the West right now. And I'm only saying the West because that's, that's all I can really, I mean, I don't know, at least divide. <laughs> I don't know how much of the world I'm in touch with. I'm just saying, boy, isn't that a description? I'm not even sure that we believe in the Lord's mighty acts half of the time. And that's what this is saying. Um, our fathers in Egypt did not understand the wonders. They did not remember. They didn't mention it. It was no longer a part of the culture or the community, the multitude of his mercies and the mighty acts, the wonders. <coughs> okay, watch this, verse 8. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake. Remember that, because I'm going to tell you that at the beginning and end of this psalm, there are, there are bookends that are so important because everything in the middle that we're about to go into now is for the bookends. And here, he saves them for his name's sake, listen, that he might make his mighty power known. Why did he do it? To make his power known. So can the church represent, can the church move in his will or represent who he is if the church is powerless? No, because what's he up to? Making his power known. See, in Exodus um, 33, it's how will they know that we're the people we're the chosen people. We're the people who've found favor in your sight if your presence isn't among us. Why is that true? Why was that true then and all the way through the end of the book of Revelations and all into eternity? It's true because what he's up to is for his name's sake, he's making his power known. You're chosen to make his power known. You know it. I know there are at least a few people in here struggling with what I'm saying right now, and that's okay. I, I love when you struggle because it's not me. It's you doing it. I'm kidding. 
<laughs> but you know this already because there are so many chapters in the letters of Paul and where Paul says we don't come with eloquent words, we come with the power of God. And there are chapters that describe how the power of God is supposed to flow in the body of Christ. Right? The spiritual gift chapters are all about this witness that represents him accurately, not because we're weak and powerless and without faith, but because we have an active flow of the power of God, the presence of God upon flowing in the body. Whoa, now all of a sudden we are accurately representing. We should have a deep problem with ourselves. A deep humility should be forming when our experience is not the flow of the power of God. It basically means we're not representing him. Why? Because it's right here in the psalm that he saves us for his name's sake that he might make his power known. He was already planning for Pentecost. (laughs) And I wonder how much we don't remember it. I wonder how much we're okay with it when there's not much of his power being made known. Verse 9, he rebuked the Red Sea and it dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. What are we reading? The Red Sea. We're reading his mighty acts, his wonders, right? And this is going to be a theme. I'm just doing that with you because it's so important. It's a long psalm. If you lose the context of what we're talking about, some of what I know I need to say this morning is really going to be like contextless. It's going to be like a plane with nowhere to land. Okay, this whole psalm is about a wondrous God who has mighty acts and a people who know those acts and represent him by their participation in them. Yeah? Because, Lutch, verse 12, we just read a whole bunch of mighty acts, and verse 12 says, Then they believed his words. Now, do you know what I think we lose sight of a lot of times? Because, you know, the, the power of God's been counterfeited. It's been poisoned to where half the time we hear about, like if you hear about a church down the road where, oh, man, over here there's weird things going on over there. All kinds of power of God is manifesting over there. Crazy stuff. We're almost like, we're almost like it's a bad thing. We're doing that, and I know why. It's because the enemy has been allowed to poison the truth of the word of God. The enemy's been allowed to run amok with counterfeit in the midst of the real power of God, and so we throw the baby out with the bathwater as if we can represent God that way. Here, the Word of God wants to make it very clear that what caused them to believe His words, what was it? His mighty acts. (laughs) He's not a dead God. He's not an idol made of gold that stands there like this and falls on its face and gets its nose cracked off when the power of God comes in. You know the places in Scripture I speak of. He's not that. He's a mighty acting God. And when he acts, the word of God, God unapologetically wants you to know that the power of God causes people, starting with us, to believe his words. Hallelujah, Pastor. Good point. And it says, it says, 
Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. You see? There's a process here, but now watch this. Um, (laughs) Verse 13, they soon forgot his works. What did they forget? His works. I want you to pause long enough to notice that it doesn't say they forgot him. I actually think this is a bit of a description of the church right now. I mean, I know, not all the time. I know how amazing you guys are. You're casting demons, you're healing people, you're teaching the word of God with the power of the Spirit. I know what you guys are doing. I'm just saying a lot of the time, I think we've been poisoned. Where You might say of the church a lot of the time these, a lot of the time these days, um, they forgot his works. Now I'm going to show you how devastating. In fact, I don't even have to do it. It's just in the psalm. I'm going to show you what happens when we become a community where we get into long seasons of the absence of, of the mighty presence of God in power. And we have a long season of that. And we start to become, rather than a people of the presence, we start to become a people who forgot, who soon forgot his works. We start to make our own models, don't we? Well, we can figure out another. Well, we can do this without the power of God. I mean, if it's not going to show up, if it's not going to be around, there's got to be some way we can love on the community. That's why there are some who are sick and weak among you. (laughs) There are some who are sleeping, and we're about to read about that. We cannot become the people who soon forget about his works. We never forget about him. We love him. But I do think we forget about his works. Now, watch this. We're going to hear what happens. Verse 13, they soon forgot about his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. I'm going to tell you something. We should bronze this and put it on the wall. (laughs) Because you just heard what happens to a community that forgets about his works, that forgets about his wonders, that has no expectation for his power to move. What happens? The first thing is we don't wait for his counsel. We're not guided by his counsel. Well, then what are we guided by? I'm going to show you. It's in the psalm. And the second one... And lust did exceedingly in the wilderness. I just love the fact that it, this is thrown in the word exceedingly. Does anybody feel that word? They didn't just lust some. <laughs> the result of forgetting about his works, which is really forgetting about who he is and kind of coming up with a new powerless version of him, one of the results is that we lust exceedingly. In other words, like out of control. Like almost the sentiment here is... There is nothing but lust. In other words, my own preference, what I want, is what begins to run rampant. Now, I don't know. I'd like to do it this way. <laughs> That's, do, do you see the connection between lust and not waiting on his counsel? It makes sense when you put it that way, doesn't it? What's the lust? The lust is I want it like, like I want it when I want it, like I want it. I think we should do it like this. Well, that's not heeding the counsel, you follow? And then it says, and tested God in the desert. The word tested is proved. In other words, do you know what that is? That is is making demands based on my complaints. Because I'm lusting for what I want, because I'm no longer following your counsel. Whose counsel am I following? My own. And so I'm going to make my demands. God, prove yourself. 
I don't like the food you're providing. I don't like this manna. Give me quail. These are the kinds of things it's referring to. They, they formed their own lust because they were no longer after the counsel of the Lord. They wanted it their own way. And I know this year, we don't do that around here. I know. <laughs> do we? Do you want the definition of wrath? If you're a note taker, get your pen ready. Here's wrath. God letting you have what you want. <laughs> it really is. It's not the calamities of a car accident or something. I'm telling you, that, that, that's not even a challenge for God. He's always going to win. No matter what calamity falls on the people he delights in, he delights in you. His wrath is when you're demanding what you want, and he finally, and he says, okay, that's that what you want? That's wrath. In fact, I think, yep, says it right here, verse 15, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Wow, I'm glad somebody said wow. It sends shivers up my spine. <laughs> Verse 16, now listen, we're going to start going through ways that the Spirit is quenched. You ready for this? Verse 16 says, when they envied Moses in the camp and Aaron the saint of the Lord, that word saint means sacred, in other words, ones set apart to keep them in the counsel of the Lord. You follow? They were set apart for that. Their leaders, Moses and Aaron, when they envied that, the earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the faction of Abiram. A fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. Now I ask you, the act, the, is that the power of God? Yeah. <laughs> is it wrath or grace? Grace. See, you guys are all studied up now. Was that last week's message or the week before? <laughs> we got a new handle on grace around here. <laughs> that is grace, baby. <laughs> Thank you, God, for not letting us have what we want. <laughs> right? Somebody before the service prayed this morning, Lord, I just feel like there's things that have to die. The seed has to go in the ground. We have to die so that we're ready for new life. Will you? And he, he was just praying, Lord, will you just kill the things that have to die? And I'm going, amen, bring your grace. That's grace. <laughs> you know what's listed here in these verses? One of the most, I'm just convinced of this. And this isn't the only passage that tells us this. One of the most destructive things in the community of the chosen, the community of faith, is comparison. Every time someone wants to meddle in someone else's calling that, that the Lord is not offering you, devastating for the, for the presence of the Holy Spirit to come upon and remain in power. Devastating. We should never compare ourselves to each other. God delights in you. There's no one like you. There's no one where it's planned for the good things that he has planned for you to do with him. And so comparison, envy in someone else's calling, wanting to meddle in the leadership that he's given them will always just be a devastating thing. It's, it's one of the best ways to quench or shut down the movement of the Spirit of God every time. If you knew, <laughs> I have to do this, if you 
had a glimpse how amazing you are, you would never want to have anything that anyone else has or do it the way they, God called them to do it. You would just sit around overwhelmed with yourself all day. <laughs> thank you, God. Thank you, God. I'm amazing. You made me amazing. Right? Isn't that the truth? Am I telling the truth? Okay. Verse 19. Now, now here it comes. <clears throat> they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molded image. Thus, they changed or exchanged their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Now watch this. Remember, who, what people do this? The people who forget the mighty acts of God. We become a culture without power, and we're okay with it. Do this. They make a calf in Horeb. What are they doing when they do that? I mean, really, you know what they're talking about. This is when they make the idol. Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. Aaron's down with the people. We're going to read about it in a minute. They're making the Ten Commandments. I mean, they're making the idol. Excuse me. Um, they throw in some gold, and according to Aaron, it hops out. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Although right here it says it was molded. What are they doing? They're going, well, we have become a people that are absent the power of God, right? We're going to need some kind of power that's going to get us from here to there. I think we can mold something on our own without the counsel of the Lord. We can mold something, programs, um, spiritual disciplines, um, we, we can say these prayers three times a day, have my quiet time. We can mold something. We can make a church that does it this way, that way. I'm going to tell you something. That's idolatry. You see, idolatry wasn't just worshiping something. There was only, their gods were only for one purpose. And listen, the only purpose for gods in their time was to have the available power to get where they're going, to have the favor of a God upon them. They were molding something manageable, and they were molding something because they were beginning to experience an absence. You know why they were experiencing the absence? They were the people who said, Moses, you go up and experience the power of God for us and come back and tell us. Well, I'm sh this is showing us the result of a people who are like, oh, I don't know, that's, that's kind of weird. I don't know if the power of God is safe for me. Well, you're right, it's not safe. <laughs> it's not safe, but we are reading about the impacts on a culture of people, even a people of faith who very much love God, but they become a culture where they send Moses on their behalf and they are never in that power of God anymore. Too long of a season without the active power of God, and you start to mold something. You start to think something else can provide the power for us. Not the counsel of God, the counsel of who? Well, our own counsel, right? Let's get, you'll see, let's get us some leaders that can make some good programming to get us apart across the desert. Follow? See, we're talking reality now here. They molded the calf. 
They were, and now listen, here we got to get this. They changed, I'm, I'm really focused on the word there, the possessive word there. They changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. What does that mean? Does anybody have any idea? In Genesis, okay, God said, how do you make us? Let's make them in our image. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret, and it's going to be right here. It's not so secret. It's right, <laughs> it's right here in the psalm. Whatever you worship, you will become. You will begin to reflect the image of whatever it is that you worship, whatever it is that you revere. You see, they were made in the image of God. You were made in the image of God. We are made to reflect the glory of God. It doesn't say that they, cha- they exchanged God's glory. It says they exchanged their glory for the image of a cow. <laughs> That's what it says. That eats grass. I think they had to throw that on just so it's like, like, do you understand how stupid you look <laughs> when you're in idolatry? What, what image you're exchanging for? Um, you don't even have to turn there. You won't be able to. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Freedom, But we all, with unveiled face, listen to these words, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You got it? Whatever you revere, whatever you worship, you are becoming. You are going to reflect that image. Why is idolatry so devastating? Because before you know it, you're going to look like a cow. (laughs) If you worship money, watch out what you're going to look like. Now, remember, when I say worship money, I know that you're not going to set up an altar and and put a stack of money there. (coughs) Let's be clear. They're gods. They're idols. We're really only one thing. What do we rely on? What's going to take us from here to there? What power? What source? is going to have the power for us. Beautiful programming, <laughs> lots of money. Now, I'm talking about the church a lot, but this is true in your family. This is true at your business, in every area of your life. What power is going to be the source of power and authority to get me from here to here? That's idolatry. And you will begin to look like whatever God. You will begin to reflect the glory of whatever God, and it's going to be the defilement of the image of God that you're made for. It exchanged, thus they exchanged their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Man, you look stupid, and you are really failing what you're made for. And I'm, I tell you, church, I'm preaching this because I believe that this is, um, this is what the church is fighting right now. In fact, it's epic. It's all the way back here. It's it's what we fight. It's the spiritual battle. Okay, go to Exodus 32. Get ready. I'm going to plow here because I got to hit some stuff and get back to the psalm. Things they understood, we got to go look. 
Here it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. Um, for as far um, as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now let me show you some things. Okay. Um, they want to make a new God, right? They want to make a new power. Why? It's, for, it's the, huh? A lack of his presence. Okay. They're not up there with the power. They've become that people. Good. That is so good. Air high five. Now watch this. Look what this says here. Um, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Did you hear it? The man who brought us out of the land of Egypt. How many times in the word of God do you hear God say, I am the Lord you God, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt? I want to tell you what happens to people who are no longer, who are no longer participant in, in the wonders of God, the amazing power of God. They become a people who quit believing in it. They have gotten so debased of mind, it's so subtle, you've got to catch it, that they're not even talking about being brought out of the land of Egypt by God. They're saying the man who brought us out. And when the man delayed too long and didn't come down from the mountain, they're going, we're going to need a new power. I think they're rushing. I think, I do, I do. I think I had the sense that you don't have to join me in this, but I'm just, I think they're trying to do it real fast before Moses gets down. Do you realize he's up there a couple of days and they're like, I mean, he's only, he's not all that late. Have you guys ever climbed a mountain? It takes a little time. <laughs> Moses is pretty old at this point. Give the dude a break. You follow me? I think they're rushing. And this is what I want you to see here. Listen, to, if you don't take anything else away, take this. Fear inspires the making of idols or the welcome of idols. You see, the progression goes like this. I want to get this right. <laughs> We're never going to get... Okay. Is there somewhere? Yeah, we'll get to it. I don't have time to waste. We don't have time to waste, do we? Fear. It was anxiety. They're freaking out. And they really are. He's not coming back. Oh, oh, oh. Why is Moses not back? We got to get on with this thing. I don't think we can wait for him. Anxiety makes them say, let's make another God. We'll get another power in here. Oh, that's right here in front of me. So... No, it's not. Okay. Do you know, let me put this out there. I can't help myself. Do you know why Jesus was, Jesus, now, now please don't mishear me. Jesus is eternal God, okay? But do you know why Jesus is the man where the spirit could come upon and remain and just remain? Do you know why? He slept through storms. I'm serious. I mean it. He was... He was a guy that was secure. His security was in the Father. And so when everyone else is freaking out, okay, the disciples had a leader that said, your anxiety is not going to turn me. In fact, I don't have anxiety in this storm. 
You got it? There's no temptation for an idol, for a power source other than God when you don't have anxiety driving it. It's in the psalm if I, if I get back to it. Um, let's keep going here. Jesus slept through storms. Just go ponder on that one. An idol-free man, he slept through storms. Verse 2, And Aaron said to them, Break off golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, um, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm telling you, we do this. We mold something. We begin, even the church, your family, the church, we do this. This is epic. This is an epic human problem. We begin to mold things. If we just do it differently, I don't like the way we're doing it. I think maybe we should do it like this. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They thought they'd have some fellowship. (laughs) Verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go get down, for your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They've turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it. Go to, um, skip down to verse 19. Now I'm going to keep reading. There's some, there's some real... I was going to say gold, but I don't think I'll use that pun right now. (laughs) There's some stuff we got to grab out of here. Verse 19. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then, actually, you know, (laughs) have you guys ever thought about this? I always wonder, did, um, did he... In his anger, did he want to th- did he want to throw and break them? Like, or in his anger, did he throw them down? I mean, these were stone tablets, right? He threw them down. Did they break? And he went, oh. I mean, have you ever done that in anger, where you're like, you do some, you do some act? I have. I used, I've been healed from a lot of anger. I still have some, but I would do something, and and it's like I didn't mean for that to happen. I didn't mean to destroy it. think about that was that a whoops was he like (laughs) then he took the calf which they'd made burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it okay we're reading about strength and leadership here and Moses said to Aaron what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them do you know what you're reading it's a He's saying, what you are doing is hating them. What did they do to you that you would be so willing as their leader to stand by or even help out as they go into the idolatry of their preferences and complaining? That's what that says. 
Verse 22, so Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people, they're set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and boing, a calf came out. Now when now listen to this. We're reading because of this. Verse 25. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among the enemies. I just want you to see Aaron didn't get off the hook by giving in to the anxiety. What did he do? You had a leader who was all too willing to yield to people's anxiety. And to just go on with them into idolatry. Yeah, let's do another power. It says, the people were unrestrained because Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among the enemy, among the enemies. That's what it says there. I'm back in the psalm, okay? Get ready. I'm back in the psalm, verse 21, Psalm 106, 21. Verse 20, they actually backed up one. Verse 20, so we're back in the context. They exchanged or they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. Verse 21 says, they forgot God their Savior. Now I want you to notice, it doesn't say they forgot God. The part their Savior is important. What did they forget? They remember God. They remember him. Remember that guy? They remember him. They forgot God, their Savior, who had, listen, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. Now listen, then they despised the pleasant land. Did you hear that? Then here's, here's where the road leads. They despise the pleasant land. What does that mean? Literally, this road eventually takes you to a place. The word despised is like um, you don't desire, you, you don't revere for, you're not hungry for, you, you push it, you despise it. They are literally, they've reached a point that, that they, they do not hunger for the promise for the good place that the Lord swore, said, I'm going to bring you into. They've reached a point. They despise the pleasant land. It goes on and says, they, now listen, they did not believe his word, but complained in their tents. Whose word are they believing? Their own wicked counsel, saying, ah, I think we should do this another way. I think we should have another power source. I don't like the way... This is going. I want to tell you something. Complaining is the fruit of unbelief. Go ahead and write that down. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You don't have to write that down if you don't. Complaining is the fruit of unbelief. This is how it works. We don't believe. And what's this psalm about? We don't believe what? His mighty works. We don't believe God is the one driving the ship. 
they started to blame Moses as if like holding him accountable for what God's doing. Isn't that what they're doing? The unbelief is, and we do this, oh gosh, God convicted me as I'm studying this psalm. We do this in the church all the time. We stop believing that God, that that Jesus, that the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus is the head. The Holy Spirit is the power that is making our direction, that is that is giving the decisions to our leaders, that is making a course because his wisdom is higher than ours. The moment we begin to think that it is not God steering his church, we fall into an unbelief that will lead to complaining. You see, you don't suggest doing things another way or I don't like the way this is going. I don't like that decision. I don't want to do it like that. You don't do that if you believe that Jesus is the head of the church and he's the one steering. That's what this says. It says they despised the pleasant land. They didn't even hunger for it anymore. They didn't even want to go to that anymore. They did not believe his word, capital H, God's word, but complained in their tents. Goes on and says, and here it is, and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Why? They're following their own counsel. Now listen what happens, okay? Therefore he raised his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. Let me tell you something. Scattering happens among those who don't believe God is in charge of his church who don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit in it. They're looking for other power sources. They want to weigh in. (laughs) I get to weigh in, God. Let's do it this way. Is this making sense? These are the things that happen to a culture of people that have been too long in a season where, where the active power of God is all too absent. Because it is the power of God. We read this in the psalm. It is his mighty acts. It is his wondrous ways that make us believe the counsel of the Lord. That make you go, I wouldn't have any other counsel than his. Because I'm acquainted with his acts. We need to be deeply concerned when the power of God is strangely absent. Sometimes. Okay, I'm going to keep reading. And um, did not heed the voice of the Lord. Verse 26, therefore he, no, I did that. Go to 28. They joined themselves also to Baal Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds and the plague broke out among them. Now listen to this. Part of what's running through this psalm is leadership, how it works in the kingdom of God. Okay, you saw Aaron's failure to lead. It was like hating the people, wasn't it? Now listen to this. Here's this guy named Phineas. Or Phineas? I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce it. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped. And that was accounted to him for righteousness to generations forevermore. We have a building full of leaders. Now listen to me, you leaders. When you... When you lead strong, when you are not allowed to be torn away from the clear will of God by the anxiety of those that the Lord has given you to shepherd, 
See, that's the temptation all the time. Anxiety arises. The leader is tempted to give way to the anxiety. I lost my train of thought. Pray it comes back. Um, it was accounted to him for righteousness forevermore. In other words, this is what I want to share with you. When you lead well, you are making impacts for generations forevermore. When you don't lead well, you are making impacts for generations forevermore. Do you hear me? The last thing in the world anybody wants ever is a weak leader that's all too willing to give in to anxiety instead of the counsel of the word of the Lord. Now, we're going this way. (laughs) I appreciate that you feel like you do, but we're going this way. Remember that, leaders. You're probably, just because I'm teaching about it, it's probably going to happen in your ministries this week. (laughs) I'm just telling you. (laughs) Who's this Phineas? Listen to who this guy is. There's a plague in Israel because they're bowing to these other gods. This this guy, I had to look it up. I didn't know this guy. He's the grandson of Aaron. And he, he gets a righteous anger that rises up and goes, this is going to stop. He fashions for himself a spear or a javelin. And he goes and he runs it through, um, well, he runs it through two people. They're, they're laying with, with the prostitutes of, of Baal. And so it's a man and a woman. And the word of God records, here's the, here's the reference if you guys want to read it. It's in Numbers 25. Verses 6 to 9. Go read it later. He runs the spear. Actually, I can't help myself. (laughs) Why do I try? He runs the spear. I'm going to start in 8. And he went after the man of Israel and into the tent and thrust both of them, the the man of Israel and the woman through the body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. He stopped it. That's leadership. He took, I mean, he took a spirit. Can you imagine? It's counted to him as righteousness. Boy, that sounds righteous. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> That's what's in the sum. Strength of the Lord. Okay. I think I'm going to... What verse am I on? Help me, church. 32. Thank you. <clears throat> okay, and we're, we're about there. We're bringing it home. Verse 32, they angered him also at the waters of strife. That place is, is Meribah, which translates literally as strife, so that it went ill with Moses on account of them. I'd say it went ill with Moses. <laughs> because, listen, church, because they rebelled against his spirit. Who'd they rebel against? The Spirit. When we do these things, who, who do we rebel against? The Spirit. So that he spoke rashly with his lips. Verse 34, they did not destroy the peoples. Do you know there are places where God said, go destroy, go destroy all the peoples out of it, out of this territory I'm giving you. Why did it require destroying all the people? Because there wasn't to be a trace of the world 
left in it, the world's ways, other sources of power. Watch this. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. Oops, we're doing this all the time. I'm just praying, Lord, show me every place we're doing. I'm not going to even try to pretend like we're not doing this. My prayer becomes, Lord, show me every place we're doing this. Where did we let the world into your ways? <laughs> Where did we put our faith in a program? Where did we put our faith into a, into a, um, a fundraising campaign? When did we start putting our faith in like, in like um, statistics or numbers? Which idol root out the idols, Lord? That's what this is. They, they, they failed to destroy the influence in the place that was for his spirit, that was for his ways only. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood. Sound like things going on in our nation, in the world? Shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Now listen to this, verse 39. Thus they were defiled by their own works, and they played harlot by their own deeds. Why? Now, this is so, this is so important. I have to say this. They were defiled by their own works. In other, in other words, what? They were doing it by their own works as opposed to his works, his mighty acts, his amazing deeds. I'm feeling the need to bring this up. I have to tell you this story. So um, yesterday was, um, money has always been a challenge for me in my life, okay? Can I just be transparent for a minute? It's, if there's a place for anxiety, for the temptation of an idol to rise up, it's right there. Someday I'm going to know that I'm completely in the security of my Father in heaven. Pray for me. So when it comes to conferences and things like this, you know, it's so important that the people actually show up, that the people actually pay. You got to pay the speaker. And, and, you know, for someone else, it'd be like, of course, that's going to come through. But I'm sweating bullets, you know, through the, that's just a weakness of mine. In the morning, it's, it's payday. It's time to pay the speaker because it's just time to do that. So I'm, I'm sitting down to write the check and I'm looking and the math did not quite add up. To what, to what we wanted to pay him. Now he's gracious. He always says, he always says, Paul, you just you just do do what's right. You just do what you can. I know what's right though. We talked about it already. So I'm trying to write the check, and I'm getting ready to write a cheapskate figure. I'm that tempted. I'm making an idol of money, and I sense the Lord say, write it for this much. And I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna get in so much trouble. <laughs> I write the check, put it with a, with a, a gracious note to, to pay him for the, for the gig. And as I'm walking in up to hand it to him, <clears throat> I sense the Lord saying, um, saying I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it up 10 times, okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to work out 10 times. Two hours later, so we were short about... Um, we were short, at least in my opinion, we weren't short anything, right? In my, in my math, we were short about $1,000. Somebody walked up and handed me two. 
just said, this has been such an amazing blessing. This is her words. With the power of God so powerfully upon it, he asked me to make this offering, and she just handed me these checks. I mean, before the day was up, before a couple of hours were over, it was filled double what we needed. I'm waiting for the other. He said 10 times. I know that I heard that. <laughs> I can't hear that. That could be, it could be idolatry. Pray for me. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you, we need to be free from the idols. We don't need the world's ways. He doesn't have our math. Do you know that COVID was the year this church had better finances than any other year in its history? And we reached more people with the word of God by multiples because of the calamity of the situation and the work of, of these beautiful people back here. We reached around the globe with the word of God. So many people, you couldn't fit them in this building. None of that makes sense. It's God's ways. It's the power of God. When we get, when we become a cult, okay, I'm going to bring it home so you don't get mad at me. Put, put that away. When we become a culture of people that stop believing that God is the one steering the course, that anything that bears any fruit of all, any, I mean, any fruit at all, it's God's power bearing the fruit. We just yield, but we can't stop believing in that. <clears throat> we can't stop believing in that, the active power of God, or we fall into everything this psalm says. Go finish reading the psalm. I dare you. <laughs> because actually at the end of it, <clears throat> permit me this, I think I get to do that a couple of times. At the end of it, verse 45, I did a whole bunch of, actually got to do this. Verse 43, I'm just going to read this. Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel. Did you hear that? I'm telling you that's going on all the time. The enemy is always trying to slip the counsel of people that is contrary to the direction. He's in charge. <laughs> Thanks for your counsel, but um, we get our counsel somewhere else. Amen? <laughs> and then verse 45, and for their sake, he remembered his covenant. You notice, you remember at the beginning it was for his name's sake? I want you to end on this note. He's absolutely nuts about you. And he is going to finish the work he started in you. It's for, for the sake of his name. And the psalm ends with his delight. And for your sake, he what? He remembers. In other words, in the courts of heaven, the covenant he has over you, Joy, and over you, Dave, he's remembering, he's mentioning in the courts of heaven the covenant over you, Tom, <laughs> over you, Jerry, he's remembering for your sake, he's remembering the covenant. But he's going, you're going to have to separate from the, from the idols. Lord, always be rooting out our idols. Okay, will you pray with me? I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to do something right now. No, we're not doing that. What are we doing?
are we doing? Okay, I think here's what we're doing. Remember that the starting place of idolatry, okay, begins with, remember it goes like this. It begins with an unbelief that leads to complaining, that leads to idolatry, that leads to not regarding his counsel or his word over us anymore, right? That's how it works. So in other words, it starts, the kind of the birthplace is fear or anxiety, Okay? It's the only reason we reach for an idol, for another source besides God, is because we have an anxiety, a fear that we're not trusting God's got that. And so let's just invite the Holy Spirit. I invite you to, to invite his presence. Take some deep breaths. And Holy Spirit, I, I know you're already here. I pray that you would make your presence tangible to us, that we would sense you, sense you speaking now. And just invite him, like David said, to search you. Lord, we pray this. Lord, what is an anxiety, what is a fear that I have that is making me reach for another source of power? the idol, Lord. Okay, if you're comfortable with this, stay right there. And it's okay if you don't, if you don't like this part. If this works for you, I invite you to make, to allow yourself to see the image of that idol that likes to sneak up on you. What's it look like? Is it heavy? Where does it sit? Okay, now if this works for you, okay, I want you to take the idol and cast it into the fire of the Holy Spirit. Moses took care of the problem. You can do that right now. authority of the name of Jesus from our place in the courts with you as your word says as we dwell with you in the spirit realm in that authority I ask you Lord to release um, to release a strength of victory over the anxieties that tug 
first in the name of Jesus. Will you release that, Lord? Strength and victory over what tugs. We rebuke the anxiety and the fear in the name of Jesus. We declare right now we trust you. And Lord, I ask that the grip of idols, the ways of the world, other sources of power, that the grip is falling off right now in the name of Jesus. We ask you to perform this wondrous act today. Holy Spirit, grind it into dust. Melt it in your fire. We want the restoration of your power and your power only over us, over our families, over the church. In the name of Jesus, your power and your power only. In the name of Jesus. And I'm going to give you just a second to worship him right there. Just worship him for what he's doing right now. I seal this work in the name of Jesus. Any spirits that have just been cast that were attached to this idol, I command in the name of Jesus, you've got to go, and you're not allowed to touch them, their families. You're not allowed to touch this church. We're breaking off from each of these idols that, that you've shown us in our hearts this morning. We're done with it. In the name of Jesus, we seal this work, and you're not allowed to come back by the seal of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Can I just see how many of you know that you just um, broke off power sources, other things you rely on, like something just happened. God just did almost everybody. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.